0: Welcome, Phoenix fans, to episode 24 of the Burning Bird. I'm Steve Leinert. I'll be doing the color commentary for AUD for the Philadelphia Phoenix on AUDL.TV once the season starts. And I'm joined by my regular partner in crime, Alexander Shaggy Shragus. Alexander Shaggy Shragus, how you doing today, buddy?
1: I'm doing pretty well. Uh, today
2: was a little bit of a weird
1: day. I dropped my computer off the side of my bed during a Phoenix call, and then uh the computer's fine, but the charger broke in half somehow. And then oh. I mentioned this on the call, and Mike Wirth, who's the assistant general manager for the team, is like, oh, I have 8,000 spare computer parts. And it turns out he had the exact spare computer part I needed. So it was an up-and-down ride. I've, I've, that, that's that's great that you got your computer fixed, Shag,
0: because I don't want to know who would be editing Burning Bear material on a nightly basis as as frequently as you do. Now, I also had an up and down day, but for completely different reasons, Shay. Why? Okay, so good news, right? I find out that Delco Steaks, one of the hottest cheesesteak places in all of, of, of suburban Philadelphia, is totally like 15 minutes from my house. Not only can I go there whenever I want to get a Delco Steak, but I can have it delivered to my house now. I can have, like, awesome cheesesteaks delivered to my house. Not just, like, pizza shop cheesesteaks, like a place that actually does cheesesteaks, right? And I'm mm-hmm. very psyched for these Delco steaks. They are one of the hottest cheesesteaks going on right now, okay? So I'm totally psyched, and I get, I, I pump myself up. I'm going to drive down to Broomall Mall to get myself a Delco steak, and something tells me to call ahead. Something says, call ahead first and see, like, what the wait time is or whatever. And thank goodness that I did because the bad news was it was a two-and-a-half-hour to three-hour wait for a cheesesteak, and they'll go safe today.
1: Oh, man. Did you have to wait in line, or could you call in, set your thing up, and then uh, that would cover it? Well, the the here's here's what happened. A hospital apparently called and ordered, like,
0: 50 cheesesteaks, right? Mm. So the people were like, call back after 6 o'clock, and we'll, we'll get your order in. So I call back at 6 o'clock, and they say they're sold out. They sold out of cheesesteak for the day. They sold out of chicken. They sold out of beef. They sold out of everything. Everything is gone. So, I mean, it's got to be good, right, if the whole place sells out before they close. We are also joined by second-year Phoenix player Austin Lillis in this ap- episode. Austin, thanks for joining us.
3: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: Austin, are you a cheesesteak fan?
3: I am a cheesesteak fan. Yes.
0: Have you had a Delco steak yet?
3: I don't know that I've had a Delco steak. I've had uh, Geno's though. I don't know. Uh, that, that's more like Central Philly, but I don't know about Delco. You're, well,
0: Geno's is South Philly, and uh, well, what do I know? <laughs> you're more of a you're more of a Geno's guy than a Pat's guy.
3: You know what? I haven't had Pat's, and I feel like I haven't had enough to make an informed opinion. I'll admit that.
0: Okay, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. If you, have, if you if you only go to one down there and you don't try the other uh, right and side by side, then you're really kind of missing out on the whole evening experience. I mean, you're going to feel terrible for the next three days after the fact. But, I mean, it, it is
1: way worth it, Austin. It is way worth it. One of these days we're going to have to make a tour of all these uh, cheesesteak places you keep bringing up. And we'll just say, look, we're a podcast. We're just here to review your cheesesteaks. We just need one slice. And then I'll blind taste test you. We'll see if you can place, place – well, first I'll have you place them, and then I'll have you tell me which ones were which. We'll see if you're right. I'm
0: 100% <laughs> down for, for something like that. And once the AUDL season is over, Shag, that would make an excellent Burning Bird finale um, for, <laughs> for this particular season. So let's keep that on the back burner for now. And let's start talking to Austin a little bit. So, uh Austin. You, uh, it's it's your second year on the Phoenix. Was the combine a little easier this this time around than it was the first time around?
3: Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, just from a pressure standpoint, like last year going into it, I was I was so nervous. You know, I wasn't. They knew about me, but you know, they didn't know too much. And coming back this year, they had seen me for a full year. I had chemistry with a lot of the guys, so it just kind of took off a lot of the pressure, and you know, I could just be myself and play my game. So I would say, yeah.
0: How much did playing in in a, in a bunch of games
3: last year help? Oh, it helped a lot because, I mean, that was obviously my first year. And the ADL is such a different uh, league than, you know, compared to a club. The field's way bigger and it's, you know, has referees. And it's just so much different. So it gave me a, a new experience, the ultimate, that I hadn't previously had
0: when you, When you talk about the difference there what's the what's the difference that you enjoy the most about the a e b l
3: experience i mean probably, as a defender, probably the fact that it's much harder to generate turns and d's on that field just because of how wide it is playing man defense makes it that much more difficult so anytime you you do get a d or 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 force one it feels that much better, so that's what we're looking for.
0: Now you're a you're a D line handler, is that right?
3: Yeah.
0: I mean how much pride do you take in that position?
3: I I've naturally always been a defensive handler and love to throw. So I I love being on defense. I like um, you know, being the ones to who break the O line and, and having that feeling and we have a lot of trust in our D line guys to convert, you know, when we do force turnovers, so I love it. What makes you say that you're a natural D line handler? Well, the throwing has always, you know, come pretty easy to me. When I started playing in college, I only know how to throw a back, uh, throw a backhand, but I could always throw really far. So they naturally <laughs> put me in a, a handler role. And then I slowly developed a, a forehand as well. But just like aggressive defense, I feel it comes from my nature. I was a wrestler for, for 10 years throughout my youth and uh, going all the way through high school. So the physicality – of it, and in the A. D. L., you can actually, you know, be a little more physical than than in the club. Um, I've just always liked that and felt a challenge to just be as close to your person as as it's possible. So,
0: what uh, what high school did you go to?
3: I went to Downingtown East.
0: Downingtown East, they got quite the wrestling program there.
3: Yeah, they were pretty good. We made states, uh, I think, my sophomore year. So yeah, they were they were good for a while.
0: Yeah, I was the uh, high school wrestling beat reporter for the Delco Times for uh, for a couple years there, and I remember covering a few uh, downtown East uh, wrestling matches. So oh, nice. I, I'm not thinking our I'm, I'm I'm not thinking our paths crossed in that particular arena, but it's kind of funny how uh, how uh, small the world is um, when it comes to uh, to ultimate and other aspects of people's lives. Uh, what weight class did you wrestle at, if you don't mind me asking?
3: No, yeah, I don't mind. Uh, so I had an interesting journey. Uh, I was a late bloomer, so coming into high school, I wrestled the lowest weight class, which was 106 pounds. Yeah. Uh, and then by my senior year, I was up to 145. Wow. Um, yeah, now I'm like 170. So <laughs> I, I've gained a little bit, but that's that's why I liked it, because even though I was a small kid, there was weight class, and so I was still wrestling people my size.
0: What do, you, what do you think are some of the traits that you learned in in high school wrestling that you we're, were able to apply to
3: ultimate? I would say the lifting program they had us on helped a lot. So, you know, a lot of kids don't get into a good lifting program until later on. And I kind of knew in high school how to, how to lift properly. So that helped with explosiveness and speed and wrestling is a lot of, you know, literally physically lifting people up. So, The strength kind of came from that and the endurance. Like wrestling practices were the hardest practices I've ever been through. I would go through a practice and sweat off five pounds, no problem. So it put me in great shape and also helped me strength train, which has translated over into some quickness, uh, especially being a handler. Having that, uh, you know, small field quickness, that's definitely come from wrestling and then some of the strength training as well for sure.
0: Did you ever think about playing uh, Ultimate in high school at the East?
3: No, I I knew about it. I saw I knew we had a team because they would all sit together at lunch, and they had, like, these cool Galaxy jerseys. Um, Nate Long, I think, actually was on that team. But I didn't really know what Ultimate Frisbee was. Um, I would just throw in the front yard with my dad. I didn't really know there was a sport of it until college. So what, what made you go out for Ultimate at Westchester then? So going into Westchester, I just wanted to develop a group of friends, you know, being a freshman at a, you know, new school and I went to a bunch of different club tryouts and they were only a few people and didn't feel that fun and I went to Frisbee and there was a hundred people out there all running around and I was like, whoa, this is pretty cool and then, you know, I had this preconceived notion going into it that these Frisbee kids were going to be so weird and... They were weird, but I'm weird, too, and I ended up loving the group of guys I met. Uh, like, Nick DiGiorgio was, like, literally the first person I met at Westchester and Frisbee, and now we're best friends. So I just fell in love with the, the group of people at Westchester and then learned I liked Frisbee even more um, and then just, just stuck with it after that, and there's no looking back.
0: Now, was was KW your coach at Westchester?
3: Yeah, Yep, he was. What's it
0: What's it like for you to be his teammate now?
3: I think now it's 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 not weird. At, at first, I was like, "Whoa!" Like he was my coach at one point, but I mean, he's you know maybe five or, or six years older than me, so it was an interesting transition. But playing with him on the Phoenix, and then also I've played with him for a couple years on our on our club summer team, and and then like winter and and spring leagues as well. It's become more of just a teammate to teammate thing, not a not a he was once my coach. Um, so yeah, it was it was a transition, but it's all good now, and we're and we're good buddies, so it's fun. If if he yells at you on the field during the Phoenix
0: season, if it were to occur, uh, how would you react?
3: No, no, I would fight back. We're we're close now. <laughs> if I called him coach, it would be as a joke. It wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be a serious <laughs> thing, or to make him feel, or to make him feel old because we love doing that.
0: Whatever you say, there, coach.
3: Yeah, and that's his humor too. He would think it was funny. Right, I
0: got you. I got you. Um, and you talked about the uh, like the, you, how you were you were a little weird yourself when we you were yeah you the preconceived notions about ultimate players. So it helped you fit in a little bit. Did
3: that bother you when they called you often, Lily? I think I do remember that vaguely, but no, I I probably thought you guys did. I thought I would think it's funny. I love their accents.
0: You talked about how throwing comes easy to you. And uh, Shaggy and I go over some notes about the players before each game, and we uh, share some cliff notes to uh, to ask some players some questions. Um, what's this uh, Paul Bunyan-esque tale that you threw a, a disc 200 yards on the beach one time? Can you, <laughs> can you please explain to us how you got oh. the travel to travel two full football
3: fields? On uh, the beach, Sir, there, there is – some truth to that, but it, it's not maybe as great as you think. Uh, my family goes to the Outer Banks a lot, and in the Outer Banks there are sand dunes. So we went to one of the, like, big sand dune parks, and I took a video and posted it on my Instagram, and it's of me at the top of one throwing a backhand um, straight out. And, yeah, it probably it probably honestly went close to 200 yards, and I had my family members down below, and I threw it to them, and they and they ran and caught it. Um, but I had about a fifty to seventy five foot uh height advantage, so on a flat field <laughs> it wouldn't have gone nearly that far um but yeah that was, that was pretty sweet i mean
0: that that is that has to be an incredible feeling
3: to to uh, yank something like that oh yeah, it was awesome First <laughs> okay. yeah, so actually, I did it maybe five or six times, and there was two or three times where my dad really wanted to catch it. And he just straight up bobbled it, hit him right in the hands, and he was so he was so upset. And then one of the the last times, finally, my my brother in law ended up catching it, and uh, and we all celebrated and ended on that. But it was so fun.
0: Now you you said your dad, uh, you you mentioned your dad a few times having a catch with your dad and uh, yeah. having your dad bobbled it. Was he an ultimate player and 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 formerly?
3: No, he was uh, in college. He played rugby. Um, but he's always just had an a bomb for a backhand. I don't know where it came from, but we I have a pretty big yard, and we would just throw like 50 or 60-yard hucks back and forth to each other all the time. So when I came into college, I, I already had that, and then people were like, whoa, he can throw it really far, and he's left-handed. That's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but no, he, didn't ha- he doesn't have any history background. He didn't know anything about it until I started playing. All right, well, now, you, you, you're a D-line handler, and
0: a lot of times scoring goals for handlers is difficult. But mm-hmm. for some reason last year you you didn't have any assists, but you scored four times. What do you attribute your knack for the end zone?
3: Uh, I think it just goes back to the quickness. Like, I remember a couple of those goals were, I think, scubers from from Mott, um, and it was just like a – I had, a like, my first step's just pretty quick. So when we get to the end zone, you know, if I'm in the front of the stack or I'm in a good spot, I'll just catch a defender off guard and get a couple steps on them, and then they don't really have time to catch up. So it, it bothers me that I had noticed this last year a lot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so I was looking forward to this year to, to you know, make up for that. But, um, yeah, the the end zone stuff, just the, the quick first step, and I think that's what's attributed to what do you think this season is going to look like right now I'm hoping it's just a it's a condensed season honestly i just hope to have some sort of season i miss it so much like i miss i miss being out and practicing and we were we were looking forward to the season as a program so much so i hope that maybe in in like july or or end of june hopefully sooner than later we can have some court some sort of condensed season where at least we can get a few games in and then some kind of bracket play structure for the playoffs.
0: Now, last year you you started getting playing time after Dave Bear left, and I I th- I think that that's a, a kind of a significant changing of the guard a little bit, especially when it pertains to the Phoenix. How how much does getting those young players those like yourself that kind of experience? How much do you think that will pay dividends for the Phoenix if twenty twenty is played and going forward?
3: I think it's gonna I think it's gonna pay huge dividends. It it's given us experience at a young age to be comfortable in a professional environment. Like this is you know, the ADL is as big as it gets in terms of you know, frisbee besides, you know, world championships and things like that. So having kids who are twenty or twenty one years old being on that big stage and getting used to it. I mean you saw what what I mentioned Paul Owens, you saw he went and was a huge help to his team uh, win the club championship. So he's he's already coming into his shoes, and I think everyone else is gonna kind of see that and following that uh, in his footsteps.
0: All right. Well, switching gears a little bit, and this is something that Shaggy and I are probably going to start to argue about uh, once you give your
3: answer <laughs> for.
1: Her.
0: But uh, your favorite athlete you mentioned on the uh, Phoenix questionnaire was Matisse Seibel. And I, I particularly find that interesting because, frankly, between you and me, Austin, he's he's my favorite Sixer right now. Okay, and, and Matisse Thybulle I think plays, does everything pretty well. He's not a master at much, but he he does everything really well. He's a great defender. He can shoot a three when you need it. Uh, he can he can pass the ball. I I like Matisse Thybulle. What is it about Matisse
3: Thybulle that you enjoy? Everything. Uh, everything you just said when he got signed to the Sixers, I honestly didn't know too much about him. Um, but yeah, number one thing is he's a great defender. I love watching people in any sport that are great defenders because I'm one. Um, he's also a great guy. I saw this was like an E60 on him or a 30 for 30, um, but it was really neat and it kind of gave his backstory. Um, and he just seems like a genuinely good person. Um, and also he's just, he's young and, and hungry to get, to get better. And, and he's a hard worker. So I think he's just a super personable and likable guy. And on top of that, he's a good defender. Yeah. You got my, you got my,
0: uh, vote for Mat-
3: Matisse Seibel. I cannot argue with you.
0: I don't know if Shaggy's got, uh, some Ben Simmons love. He wants to sprinkle in here in
1: this, in this instance, look, I love Matisse Seibel. If I wasn't such a big Sixers fan, that would be my pick, too. It's just he's not the most important Sixer, so it's hard to, for him to be my favorite player. Like, um, I
0: love, uh, why I do love you gotta, lots of why players your to... favorite Why does your favorite player have to be the most important one? Why can't it just be a regular guy that
1: brings his lunch pail to work and does his job? Because I tend to care more about players who contribute more. Uh, and Matisse was hurt at the be- he He had some injury uh issues in the beginning and then even now like i guess now no one's playing but he wasn't playing as much as and i love watching him play i think he's he's an awesome player i really like him i like ben a little more and i probably like joe a little more too yeah well you know
0: what matisse Stibel does that ben simmons doesn't do
1: <laughs>
0: shaggy you know what he does you want to say it shaggy do you want to say it shaggy is it shoot the three ball? He shoots the three ball, Jay. He shoots good. the three with impunity. Even if he misses, he doesn't care. Why doesn't that's Ben good.
1: shoot? Why doesn't Ben shoot? Because Matisse Seibel's on Seibel the team. He can pass oh, it to
0: Matisse. Well, thank God. The thank God. Thank God Matisse Seibel's on the team. And I'm sure Austin <laughs> Lillis agrees with me.
3: I do. <laughs> 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 what what, what,
0: what so as much as I appreciate your infatuation with Matisse Seibel, I gotta ask you, what do you like about Dylan Freechild? What's up with what? that?
3: You don't like Dylan
0: <laughs> Freechild? Oh come on, no! I, I I think he's I think he's a little cocky. I think Dylan's a yeah. little cocky.
3: Hey, he won the club championship last year. That's a little bit of noise.
0: Well, I was, one one would say Trent Dylan had a lot to do with that. Uh, I'm hey, gonna, I like.
3: I like Trent Dillon a lot too. I, I you know I played against him in college when I was a freshman and we got absolutely destroyed. So that was as close as I got to him. I but coach, um, I coached Trent
0: Dillon, so I'm a, I'm a huge fan of his. Oh, there you and, go. So, uh, but but, but uh, Dillon Dylan, yeah, yeah. Dylan, Dillon I thought was riding Trent's coattails a little bit in that club championship. Just just saying. I
3: don't know, but yeah. So Don Freechild uh, was like probably the first big name I knew freshman year of college. Um, you know, we would watch a ton of Callahan videos. I would watch him when he played for Next Gen, um, and just watched all his Oregon highlights. So I loved his style, just being a quick movement handler, handler the throw and go. Me and Dustin Hankin came up with a a term when we would handle a Westchester for a throw and go, and it was DFC for Dylan Freechild. And so it was he was just someone I tried to emulate, and always thought his, his style was cool. And now I think he's developed and. Matured a little bit from uh, how he used to play. I just think he's pretty—he's pretty balanced as a player, and he's very involved in, ult- in the ultimate community. Does a lot for the sport, so I think that's pretty cool as well.
1: Austin, awesome. where are you spending your quarantine
4: time?
3: So uh, I actually am still working. Uh, I go into the office five days a week, so I'm—I'm I'm out of the house, you know half the day probably 12 hours a day so um and then um when i come home i'm i'm just hanging out (laughs) trying to throw and get outside when i can i I, uh went for a run the other day felt great um so just trying to do little things i like to like outdoor stuff too so i go fishing a lot um just the basic things that we can still or that we're allowed to do
1: do you have uh roommates or are you by yourself you live at home
3: so I live at home now. Um I'm moving out in the next couple of months trying to save up money since I graduated uh last May. Um but as soon as this is kind of all over or at least almost over, I'm going to I'm going to move out. Not too far. Probably looking at Concha Hocken right now, so. Oh man, that used to be uh
1: right in our backyard and now the Phoenix have moved all the way into the city.
3: I know, right? But it's still closer. I'm in Downingtown now, so it'll still be closer for me.
1: Oh, for sure.
3: So you're a lefty, right? Yep. I
1: said lefty, right? That's confusing. But <laughs> I've also I've often heard it said by people that lefties are better at sports. Have you found that to be the
3: case? Do you think that you had a natural leg up growing up? <laughs> um, I mean, pre before ultimate, I I never really thought about it. Um, the only thing I would ever think about is the fact that I couldn't get uh, a left-handed mitt for baseball or a left-handed set of golf clubs because they barely make any of them. So I found that a struggle. But as far as me having an advantage, I don't know, not not so much. I think the sports I played growing up, it didn't, didn't make too much of a difference. I think it makes a difference in ultimate, though. Why? Because nine times out of ten – People are gonna force flick, which is supposed to be a harder throw, but that's my backhand. So um, my my around flick has naturally become like one of my favorite throws uh, as a break throw. So being able to to throw a backhand because that's what I'm getting forced most of the time, I think a, a lot of people would see as an advantage. You know, and obviously it depends. But
0: all right, and, uh, hey Austin, what's it like to play for Westchester Loco?
3: Ah, oh, I love Loco. I remember when uh, a few years ago, when the the team was formed, and I was so excited. I was actually coming off an injury at that time, so that was the that was basically me coming back from my injury. Was when I heard about the team, I was like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta play with these guys. So being able to play with uh, some people that I went to college with, or a couple that were a few years um, past when I started playing, and then meet new people from you know the Philly area, the Jersey area. Has been awesome. I I love that team a lot, and the the culture of Mix is just so much different. But it's it's awesome, and uh, I really hope we have somewhat of a season this summer.
0: Now, uh, did you play with Jeff Andrews?
3: Yeah, Jeff's one of my uh, good buddies on the team. He's one of my favorite people to throw it to. Uh,
0: no, Jeff <laughs> Jeff Andrews is also one of my favorite people to throw it to. Um, <laughs> he, he's been on two of my summer league teams. And uh, I, I drafted him even though that he wasn't going to be there finals weekend one year just because of how highly everyone spoke of him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, Jeff Andrews is a uh, once-a-death ring bomber, always a death ring bomber as far <laughs> as, as i Right, Chag?
1: Yeah. That was Shaggy. our club team, Austin. Oh, okay.
0: Chag, he was a death ring bomber, Yes. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, I got a lot of love for Jeff Andrews, no question about that. So we have a lot of mutual friends in common, so. I'm hoping that, I'm hoping there's an AUDL season, and, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that you, you get to participate, because I've become a fan, Austin, I've become a fan.
3: I appreciate it, yeah, I really hope so, too.
0: No, I'm a, I'm a big fan of handlers. Hey, one more question. How do you think the Phoenix would fare in a weekend-like tournament?
3: I think we'd kill it. I think it helps that we have a lot of uh young people who can uh, keep up the energy and help us out with endurance. I mean, that's a crazy scenario, but um I don't know. I feel like we I feel like that would actually uh fare in our favor compared to some other teams.
0: Uh, but for now, for Alexander Shaggy Shregis and for Austin Lillis. Austin, thank you for joining us on the Burning Bird today.
3: Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. It's fun.
0: I'm Steve Liner. Stay tuned for our
1: next segment. To get the best results, buying or selling your home, you need to have the best team. Look no further than Rachel Iannotti and Alex Haynes of Center City Team Realty. Rachel and Alex help their clients win with decades of experience handling the finest houses and apartments in Philly's hottest neighborhoods. Go to centercityteam.com and check out Rachel and Alex's profiles to get started. Welcome back, Phoenix fans. Shaggy here. I'm sure you're all missing the dulcet tones of Steve Liner, but we have a very special treat for you. We're here with Turning Bird host and Phoenix Files frequent host Harvish Meta, and he's gonna be talking to his brother Himalaya Meta. Harvish, how are you doing? I'm
2: doing great, Shaggy. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. How's that? Uh, how's that California air treating you? Good. You know, uh, last week I found out there's there's disc golf areas near me, and uh, we have got a frequent one of those. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we were just talking about that. Yeah, yeah. You, you're going to bike there on your new bike, right? Yeah, on YouTube. Yep. <laughs> yeah, Harvest bought, got himself three bicycles. He's going to tie them all together and drag them
4: there. It's resistance training for something. Well, I think, he's, I think he's just trying to get our entire family to come visit. So he's just collecting bikes, and he sends nonstop pictures of just amazing scenery. <laughs> That's, so, hopefully, it's really his ultimate goal. He'll get a bike for each one of you. Exactly. So, he might have five by the end of uh, the month. Who knows? <laughs> <Just> <laughs> Harvest, is that your plan?
2: You know what? That, that was, that, you know, there was some truth to that. I'm still looking for a bike for my mom. I think she's five foot six. The bikes I have right now are for taller people. So, my sister's pretty tall, my brother's tall, and my dad's my dad's um average uh, men's height so we could definitely I need I need two more bikes and probably medium bikes so I'm probably gonna go dumpster diving in the uh University of Santa Barbara campus. So Harbish what do you got? No, we got some great questions for you uh Himalaya I call him I call him Pi that means brother in our language so I call him Pai a lot so if you hear Pai, I'm talking Himalaya. I, I would like to start off are you ready? I'm ready. I think the first question I've had is 2020 so you've been in Philadelphia for 10 years right mm-hmm. you've been here for 10 years you started with University of Pennsylvania uh, and you played for for void there and your career kind of has flourished from that that university play you've captained a couple teams there and then what made you try out for the spinner
4: yeah i mean at that point in time and it was a it was a dream i think the years i played college were 2010 to 2014 um, during that time, Southpaw was there for a couple of years, you know, and then, then there was a, there was a transition, but when I, when I first came to Philadelphia and I was really getting into Frisbee and, you know, I was here over the summer for an internship over sophomore year, um, I got to try out for, for Southpaw. I didn't end up making it. Um, but, uh, I, I didn't, you know, I think I was good. I think that field the fire, but in trying out for that team, whenever you're that young of a player and you're working really hard and you're amidst all these other people, you, you develop you know role models or people you look up to and you're like hey, I want to emulate that kind of play or I want to uh, I want to prove to this person that I can be at this level and all those all those people who played southpaw really transitioned to spinners right they play they they played spinners and I think um, you know that that A U D L season and I think it was 2012 now um, I think the combination of club and A U D L that year kind of was like the final nail in the coffin for South. I think people were really burned out. But, um, you know, since then, I, you know, I, I tried out for spinners over Phoenix just because the people that I look up to and the people that I played club with in the previous year played spinners. So naturally, I just kind of gravitated towards that team. Why the, the spinners and not the Phoenix? I mean, I, I thought it was the Skippy peanut butter
2: that really led you. <laughs> I heard I heard you guys got free peanut butter. I still, I'm still waiting for a case of mine.
4: To come here. Yeah, it, I think I think there was a coupon that you could, or there was some sort of game thing you could just go to the grocery store and every time you scanned, and I think the, I mean, I think all the Spinner's players had it. You could just get as much uh Giphy as you wanted. That's probably one of my, that's probably one of my favorite sponsors. Shaggy, yeah, can you imagine that getting free peanut butter every time? <laughs> no, I'm bored. That, that's what a great <laughs> perk. I
2: mean, yeah, you, definitely... you can thank Billy Sickles for that one. I think. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Of course, you're gonna play spinners. So let's let's talk about your evolution as a player. So, uh, so 2013, when you when you tried out, you you were definitely a, definitely a bench warmer, right? You, you you came in towards. I mean, the the Philadelphia Spinners didn't have a great season. How how did you evolve yourself? How how did you become better? I mean, experience is one thing, but what did you specifically do to kind of become a starter on that team?
4: Going through history, I think 2013, I barely made it. Honestly, I think I, I think I made it just because they liked that I ran a lot. You know, like, all right, this guy this guy's committed. I, I didn't miss a single um practice or even pre tryout practice. Billy Maroon used to host these ridiculous um workouts slash scrimmages in December and January before the tryout where we would we would pretty much just come out in the freezing cold and play like seven minute points where if you scored then the other team just went the other way and we used to do some crazy stuff like that. But um I so I honestly think I made the team Mainly because I, I went all those and um, they, they like that I that I ran a lot. I mean the trial was pretty much a workout. Like we did, you know, timed planks and we did the beep test obviously and measured all these other all these other things. We did uh, like wall sits back to back. So that that was just kind of the flavor of the team. And as you kind of going off topic here, but if you once we went into the season, we didn't have a great season that year. But if you remember, we won the first couple games. And I think it's just because we were in shape and we just caught other teams by storm. And then I think we we didn't end up adapting that well. But, I mean, the big feedback I really have gotten throughout my entire career is just, you know, throw more, be very comfortable with the Frisbee. Um, And I think that really stems from whenever players come out, whenever players come out playing the game, they initially gravitate towards their strengths because they can lean on them. So, if you think about, you know, everybody knows a player who can just cut deep and sky somebody. That player, it's really hard for that player to develop um, you know, work on their throats because really whenever they're put in the teams, they're really put into certain roles where, hey, you're supposed to do this, you're supposed to you're supposed to do what you're good at so we can help the team win this specific game. Um and that's why a lot of times you don't see those players develop a few other things that can really make them a star. Um in my case, I was, you remember Franklin Regional, we we literally Anytime I got the Frisbee, anytime we got the Frisbee, if you weren't a handler, everybody would yell chili, and you just turn around and do a quick little dump. Um, and I think, you know, early on in those silly years, it was all, a lot about, like, possession and, and holding the disc. So if I got the disc, if there was an easy 10, 15-yard upfield look, I'd go and dump the Frisbee. Um, and I think, you know, Philadelphia is content with that. But I think the the big thing evolving as a player was, one, just throwing more. And two, I think, sticking with it there's just there's just something about playing seasons like playing going season to season that a lot of times you can work extremely hard in one season, but things just won't click, but then over the off season when your brain's kind of figuring those things out and you're trying out different things and you just play another season, and all of a sudden like something will click, so I think one is throws, two is just playing seasons, and three is just getting a chance some sometime I was fortunate to get a chance in 2016 when Daryl said hey, Himalaya, you're going to start on the O-line for the spinners. Um, and so I feel like that was huge for me. He, he, he had trust in me, and he, and, he, and he started me, and I did well. And so then people – and then after that, I think they were like, oh, like Himalaya can be a starter. Himalaya can be a starter. And then I, then I uh, started on patrol um, on the D-line that year and then the O-line the next year. But um, I feel like that's also super important. Somebody has to just recognize that in you and give you a chance. And then you know, hopefully you can you can go out and and show them that it was worth it.
2: You took two breaks as a professional athlete, right? So you played with the spinners and then took a break, and then we'll get into more details whenever you're transitioning
4: from the spinner to the team.
2: There was a break season where you played for Patrol Club, only club that year. Uh, can you go over the first break with us?
4: Yeah, I I think a lot of players also face this, where for those four years of ten I played. Um, a lot of frisbee uh and I played a team, I coached the b team um I played club every single year, and that one year I played club pro and a team and coached the b team, so at that point, when I graduated, it almost like, I need to take a break, so in twenty fourteen, I told the spinners like I wouldn't be coming out um I wouldn't be coming out this year, and you know, I was starting a new job i was about I was graduating college like maybe I should really focus on real life things. So um, I I didn't sign up for any club or play play anything at all. Um, went home for a couple months before starting work in Philly. Came back to Philly, had no intention of playing Frisbee. But then the, the Jersey club team that I was playing for at that point, Garden State, was just like, hey, just, just come up and see the guy, just play in a practice or two. And I went to a practice or two, and then I just got hooked again and then ended up playing club that season. And then realize that frisbee after college is so different than frisbee in college frisbee in college you're playing year round and frisbee out of college it's like wow i had these like the worst weather wise the worst six months of the year i'm not really playing much frisbee and then as soon as the summer the summer starts rolling around you start getting you start getting the itch and and and, you know like it's just a completely different kind of vibe so 2014 was really a break just because i was i was just burnt out and uh thought I needed a break and focus on real life, but it kind of got sucked back in um, naturally whenever I like came back to Philly.
2: What happened in that 2017 season when the Spinner's dissolved, you know, they gave away all their free merchandise? I'm so upset that you didn't get any free merchandise.
4: <laughs> but Yeah, I, I didn't jump on that.
2: It all came to me.
1: I have more jerseys than I know what to do with. So I was working for the MLU at the time. They uh, I used them as
4: bedding for my snake. <laughs> but maybe you can get a, maybe you can get a, a Jersey at a discount from Shaggy. Yeah. <laughs> it might have some, <laughs> might have some snake poop on it, but other than that, it's pretty good. Yeah. To, to your question about 2017, uh, it, that was interesting. It was going to be the first year where, so in 2016, Spinner saw very good success. Patrol arguably also saw pretty good success. We made it to nationals. We won a few games made it to pro flight through the back door. Um, And, but at the same time, I think patrol felt like maybe we didn't do as much as we could have because the spinner season took up so much of the summer. Like people needed a break after the spinner season was over and we won the championship. And um, I think, you know, Charlie was thinking that was a big reason we might not have done that as well in pool play and been in it to maybe go to quarters or semis um, at nationals. So the big thing about – the big the cool thing about coming into 2017 was Charlie Hoppus was named head coach of the Spinners, right? And what this means is Philadelphia, like some of the other cities that can be semi-successful in both, have one leader, have a single leadership that's going to take them through both seasons, which is huge. And I think if you kind of take a look at Phoenix 2018, Phoenix 2019 – some of the struggles in those years was, like, how do you balance people's priorities for club versus pro and who, you know, and, and, and just timing of tryouts versus important regular season games and, like, um, huge Triple Crown Tour tournaments to, like, the last couple of games we were trying to clinch playoffs. And so 2017 was going to be a very special year in that at least, for the for the spinners and for the the top men's team in the area at that point, you know, there was gonna be cohesion. And then once the spinners dissolved, I think one of the big sponsors pulled out and everything kind of unraveled. It was kind of devastating for a lot of the people who were looking forward to that season and looking forward to defending a national championship. Um and especially because the spinners had a lot of like roots in Philly, right? That's where the headquarters were, that's where kind of everything began um and so the question was what to do now should people go and try to play phoenix um and the decision from the leadership like th- there wasn't there wasn't anything mandatory but there was a push that hey like we just earned um pro flight status uh which is like top 8 for USAU club and we get to unlock we we unlocked huge tournaments for ourselves like some of the some of the most competitive tournaments for for club and so that year, instead of playing pro, we decided um as a unit and you know, you kind of want to stay with, play with your friends and, and do what they're doing um we decided we're not going to play play pro to focus on club, make sure we peak at the right time and instead of playing pro some of those early season reps that we get, we're gonna practice in March and practice in April um, and have like little mini camps to kind of gear up for the for the Um, club season so 2017 you know that year didn't turn out the way we wanted it for patrol but we were kind of poised I mean coming off of um, a spinners win and and, and a pretty good showing at nationals and selecting profile status we had the pick we had we had such a good pick of talent so many people came out for the team for patrol we had those early season practices we did well in our first tournament and then um I think we, you know the rest of the regular season and playoffs were a bit of a struggle, and I, I mean, there's a lot of reasons people think that that's the case. But um, yeah, to, an, to answer your question, I, I think there's just a lot of excitement on what we can maybe accomplish or achieve on the on the club front um, instead of spreading ourselves thin and playing playing Phoenix too. Yeah, that's, that's
2: really interesting, and you brought up a very important point. You're explaining that. So th- this year, I, I think this, I, mean, I think it's just safe to say the Phoenix are taking an approach to trying to find people who are committed to the team to play in this season because, you know, when the player commits uh, to a tryout, they want that same player to at least uh, go to every game they can or at least be that mm-hmm. – that, be the first thing they do. What, right. what do you think the Chrome Phoenix can do to try to – you know, they're kind of splitting talent a little bit here. What, what can they do to bring that together? I mean, how does Daryl do it? I mean, I, he – I guess he's in charge of Truck Stop and D.C. Breeze, but if that can't be the case in in Philadelphia, how can we make it successful for patrol and Phoenix to coincide and and just be successful? We want the
4: best Philly team out there
2: if this is our only professional team. Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah, so I'm going to speculate. I feel like so many people have put thought into this already, including the patrol leadership and the the, the Phoenix leadership and, and organizational staff of, hey um you know how do we come together as a combined entity um i think theoretically both teams even with the split in talent can perform better and earn better results um in each of their separate divisions right last year phoenix went 4 and 8 um patrol didn't didn't make nationals didn't get to the game to go and i think there's enough talent that really both teams, even as it stands, should be doing better in each of their respective divisions. So I think that we need to figure out for sure. The the other part about like how do you really combine? We there was there was a somewhat soft agreement in I have to remember the years in 2019, right, between Patrol and the Phoenix to to make sure to really manage players because we didn't want players to go, you know play a hard weekday practice with the Phoenix, um, go to a patrol tryout from 10 to three, and then play a Phoenix game from, you know, six to nine that evening, and then go to a patrol tryout um, Sunday morning, patrol practice Sunday morning, and then kind of continue that process. And, and we wanted to make sure we managed players and try to come up with an agreement where, you know, maybe patrol players are limited to eight out of the 12 games. Um, and therefore we get some of that talent um, and patrol players get early season reps um, so that they can perform better on their team. So there, there were some, there were some puts and takes on both sides last year. Um, But again, you know, it didn't result in, you know, what we, what we thought was going to happen or, or like an improvement over previous year's performance. So, you know, that goes to, you know, this year, there isn't something as concrete. There are conversations where there isn't something as concrete. Again, I feel like the only way to make it most effective is if there's one leadership that comes together and decides, hey, you know, we have the peak at a few different times. The season's going to be longer. Um, what's, our, what's our major priority or priorities throughout the season? And then getting the players to buy into that long-term plan right? Because last year, there's some players, honestly, who were using Phoenix just for reps, right? They'd go into games and they're like, let me get my big throws in. Um, so I'm ready for the patrol season. You know, other players are going, or we're going hard at Phoenix and saying, I'll, I'll figure out patrol, I'll figure out club after the Phoenix season. And it's hard whenever you don't have a consistent, like everybody's thinking about it this way. Whereas I think what Daryl's achieved in, in, um, You see, there's some people that like pro more than club and vice versa, but because he's kind of heading up the whole thing with whoever else, they know, like, hey, both of these are important. We love playing Frisbee. We love competing. Um, Here's how we're working so that we're mentally prepared for a six-month-long season, um, and this is how we're going to execute to make sure that we're performing, you know, close to the best we can for, for both seasons. But I feel like that. I feel like that's important. If you have different sets of leadership, obviously you're going to have, um, you know, they're they're going to be biased in some way and skew towards performance for whatever their objective is.
2: I, you know what? I you know, I just thought about something, and, and this is something me and Shaggy. I think we kind of, we kind of thought about uh, last week a little bit. This is just a question out of blue. So when you travel to tournaments in Canada, right? Mm-hmm. You, you play a game on Saturday and then you play a game on Sunday. And I'm gonna just ask you, what does that take out of you? Does it? I mean, you've gone to tournaments where you played maybe six games in one tournament between two two of the days. And I can see how in professional sports, like when you travel, you have all these jeering fans at you, you know, that just hate your guts when you come into a stadium. Where (laughs) in ultimate frisbee, I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think they're just there because they love the sport and maybe they love their team a little more. But it's not, not as. I, I don't feel like the atmosphere is as bad as 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 some of the the higher sports uh, like like football and basketball what what yeah. does it actually take out of you to go travel to Canada just to traveling itself go going to to a game in Canada and then sleeping in a hotel and then waking up the next day
4: and doing the same thing again yeah that's an that's an interesting question. I think the fans are there, but honestly, I think the fans elevate both teams' play right because you're playing in front of people um I think the bigger thing is games that are back to back you uh, somebody's got to run the stats on this but the teams that play day 2 of a doubleheader their record isn't going to be as good for for those games as as the first game on Saturday um and it's for obvious reasons you're definitely tired i know people are used to going to usau and playing eight games over a weekend and still playing pretty well on those final couple games especially at some of the, some of the top tournaments but think about it this way right in a in a in a pro game the field is 53 and a third yards wide instead of 40 yards wide. It's 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 a much bigger field, and I think it's I think it's a little bit longer too. I think it's 120 yards instead of 110. Maybe the USAU field is 70 with 20 yard end zones, as opposed to um, the ADL field is 80 with 20 yard end zones. I believe that's right. Um, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So it's a bigger field one. The second thing is, if you think about the number of players that you have to play, 20 versus 27, on a club team you have 27 players that can rotate in or out. That's close to four lines. On um, on On a pro team, you only have 20 players to pull from, so that's close to three lines. And then if you think about the timing, right, if you kind of time out a full pro game, it I feel like it comes out to about two USAU games. You know, a USAU game, if you took out all the stoppages, um, I, I, if you normalize for all the stoppages and, and all that other stuff, you know, there's, some, there's times in the USAU game where you might take three minutes between points if the other team isn't calling you out on it, right? There's some teams that get to fully huddle and talk in the middle of the field before they go send out seven um so it's not as tightly controlled on the time so that's 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 another thing um and the intensity i think is a little bit higher right like obviously the high level of the USU, the intensity is very very high but the fact that you're only playing one game um the fact that you're only playing one game it's in front of people it's very time controlled you have to sprint to the line right as soon as as soon as your team scores the next line's gotta go out and get there so they know what they're doing and they can be ready to run down. I think that one that one um pro game is pretty exhausting and, and is comparable to maybe two, maybe even a little bit more based on maybe you know, around two, two and a half um USAU games. But if you put that on your legs on day one, you're gonna be tired for day two. I mean I remember one of the one of the seasons that we had a couple in twenty eighteen we got a we got a bunch of Sunday home games against Canadian teams. We won we won games easily against Montreal and like took Toronto, gave Toronto a run for their money. Um, and and we, I think we we earned a bunch of wins because they're coming up they're coming off the road and playing us on Sunday. It's not good for it's not good for team revenue. You don't want Sunday games, um, Sunday home games especially. But it, it's, as far as like wins go, it puts you in a really good position. Um as far as traveling to Canada, honestly, I think this can go two ways. It could even help your team, right? Your team has just spent so much time in a van bonding. I know your legs are getting tight and this and that, but um your team has just spent so much time bonding in a van and you're not thinking about anything else in life really. You're just you're so zoned into Frisbee and you're so zoned, you're just spending time with your team. So I actually think sometimes road trips help a little bit in that way, in that you're kind of like in a new in a new world you're you're not distracted with your real life things this is you know and you're surrounded by your team for so long i think the saturday game and then the sunday game hurt but i think the way our organization has um set it up so that we're comfortable in whatever vans we're going down we have good accommodations we get there at a reasonable time get enough sleep you know we get we get the food and the fuel that we need i feel like they've done a really good job to kind of take out the travel burden but you can't take away the game too uh, game two and the legs are a little heavier. Uh, I mean, you mentioned
1: it, so that 2018 team, you played Montreal twice on the Sunday of a back-to-back, and uh, Toronto on the Sunday of the back-to-back. You lost to Toronto by one. But the right. other thing is that they weren't just normal Saturday games. Montreal finished beating New York in New York uh, at the last second on a buzzer beater at you know 10 o'clock at night. That's when that game yep. finished. So they didn't get a full a full rest. It was more like a college tournament, that first game on Saturday where you had to leave the Friday after classes were done, and you don't pull up to the, your Virginia motel with one bed for 60 of you, and uh, mm-hmm. you, know, you get there at 4 in the morning, and then you have to turn around and wake up at 8.30 and play. That's the only time yeah. I think I've ever experienced something like that. Yeah,
2: sure. I guess you definitely win that. I mean, I think I'm convinced. uh <laughs> <laughs> In my head, i almost like, come on, play eight games. The regular tournament is scoring pretty high. What is going on here? But, no, that, that definitely makes sense. I didn't think about it, the way the, the timing of the game works. You you're definitely elevate play at a higher level because you have, you have fans, you have people watching you. Um, I think I think another fun question, since you mentioned New York, what did you feel about that uh, that sky you had on Drouse? What was going on there? I mean, by the end of that sky, you were at, the .5-yard line to the end zone, and then all of a sudden you're back like 25, 30 yards. What was good about <laughs> your head where that happened? Do you remember what play we're talking about?
4: Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. I think, I think Mott threw that, and then, uh, yeah, I bailed him out on that one. I That was a fun <laughs> one because I feel like I feel like in um in our matchups, I think Droust, uh, I think both of them, bait. I think overall, if we had to speak objectively, I think they do get the better of me. But that was one moment where they can't take that one away from me. Um, I think the official was just confused. So he called it. And then I was confused too because, I, you know, I, I feel like it's hard, to, it's hard to always know what exactly it looked like when it happened, whether did I jump up and did he come under me? Or did I just jump on top of him? Um, but either way, at that, in that moment, it was like, all right, wherever he's going to put me, I'm not turning the Frisbee over because that's like the biggest thing that you, you know, you have to make sure you can really calm yourself down in the moment and not turn the disc over after you make a big play. So I was like, tell me where to go. Let my teammates set up. I'm not going to turn the Frisbee over. It's kind of, it's kind of what I was thinking in that moment. Yeah. It's
2: definitely confusing. You go back 10 yards <laughs> and then you go back another 10 yeah. yards and then the referee blows his whistle and he's like, wait, you're supposed to be here. And then you go four or five yards, and he takes you back another 10 yards. It's the funniest thing ever.
4: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think, the
1: ref was con- I think the ref was confused. He, You got two calls on that play. Uh, you got a, you got whatever the initial contact call was uh, that you shouldn't have gotten because, I mean, you were in front of dropped, and you jumped up, and then he ran underneath you. So that's a 10-yard mm-hmm. penalty on you on the catch. But you go back 15 yards and tap it in. Um, because that's where the ref had pointed. Let, you can't do that. That's a travel. So that's a 10-yard penalty, except that it's 10 yards from the initial 10-yard spot, not the 15. So then he has you walk forward five yards. It doesn't make any sense on the on the broadcast. And I only remember this because I was, like, standing right there on the sideline trying to figure mm-hmm. it out. And then he has you back up the 10 yards for the travel call after you have to go forward the five yards because he had shown you the wrong spot in the first
4: uh, initial Oh, call. I see. I see. <laughs> got it I mean I've seen that's I've why I got Bat another rule I've seen <laughs> that really work
2: in, the, in the sky man I've seen actually, I've seen him land on your shoulder in the air <laughs> I've seen this from, I'm just like I'm flabbergasted on how, how they make these calls especially with like people like and Bat who are like very physical players um, well I'm
1: su- mm-hmm. I'm surprised you didn't uh, ask him about that last point in that game where uh Himmy, you get fouled by Matt Stevens really hard, and there's no call. And Harvish told us that you came off the sideline and you were questioning your hands, like how could you have dropped it?
4: Uh, but yeah, I had no you know. idea. What, that was that was such a weird game for me um, because I think I was playing decently well in the beginning. Our team was playing really well. We were up by a good amount. And then at a certain point um, – Then you get punched in the face? I th- yeah, I think I think in that game, I think um, oh, what's his name? Yeah, I think Yaka got a bookend on me, and then a few points later, I got slammed in the face. He had a huge backhand, and he just kind of followed through and hit me in the hit me in the face. So um, I was I was like I had a cut, I was bleeding. Um, you know, I was getting help on the on the sideline, and then and then they switched me over from offense to defense. And so then I was getting I was I got to guard Harper for a little bit. It was just a weird game switching from you know like all that happening switching from offense to defense. And then the final point where um you know it was, it was it was a universe point and I think Billy made a Billy made a long throw. I was making an in cut. I was attacking it. I went up to catch it and then all of a sudden I don't know what happened but I just like I didn't even touch the frisbee. I didn't even feel it. And I was like how did that how did that happen? Like did I not see it? Was it because my my eye was hit? Did I just like uh, um what do you call it uh choke in the moment and, and like didn't time something right and I was just very confused. And so like after after the game I was like like I I think I was pretty upset. So I was just talking to my brother and I was into the car. I'm like, like how do I just how did that just happen? Like how did I just like not you know, I mean that was an extremely important point. We could have beaten New York. We should have beaten them by more um uh but yeah, so he, then then I think he was he was watching the film and he was like take a look at this. So I think a year later I felt a little bit better. But uh it was it was it was very confusing to me. That whole game the second half was very confusing to me. Um but yeah, it was I was just it was I was just flabbergasted. Like where like I didn't even touch it. I don't even I didn't even see where it went. Um, so I, I thought it could have been, maybe been my eye, but I was like I could see decently well. Then I think um, uh, who came off the sideline and asked? I think Babbitt came and asked Hampson or Nate or some somebody and they asked is like, what what happened? Did his eye okay? Did he can he not see because he had missed that he had missed that disc? I think I think that that might have happened too. So like I wasn't actually sure sure what happened, but that that kind of sucked. We talked about the New York game last year. It's like that is a win for
2: us. Uh, definitely went for us and has an asterisk on New York's uh, perfect record that year. So you've been it's been 10 years of ultimate for you. Um, I'm sure it's more from high school so maybe 13 years. But, you're getting pretty
4: old now. <laughs> I mean... I'm not, I'm not that old. I know old. you think I'm old. I know you think I'm old, but I'm not that old. You, you're past
2: your physical, you know. I... Uh, <laughs> What is happening? I mean what what's your next step? I mean, do you do you're try from patrol, um because your body can only take one season. I understand that. And and what's next? Are you gonna are you gonna just from Phoenix are you gonna go to Summer League and then from there try to slowly <laughs> You're already you're already
4: writing my tombstone. You're like So so how's your career gonna end now that you're old? Um <laughs> No, I'm 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 only 27. There's people that play well. I mean, look at Glazer. He's on the team this year. He's he was playing super well before the quarantine. I can't believe it. He has like two kids now. He's like 35 maybe. I don't know. Some maybe a little bit younger than that. But he's running well. He's playing well. Um, I I actually didn't play patrol because I wanted to focus on just a, a couple other a couple other life things and focus on one season because I did see what it was like to, to try and play both together in the previous year, um, when you're trying to go full out for both. Um, so in that way, you know, it it was, it was a combination of reasons, but it was, it was mainly, you know, a couple, a couple other life priorities and, um, um, and also trying to focus on one season more than, more than the body thing. I think you can do it if you, especially at this age, you can, you can do it if that's your main thing. Um, You just have to really focus on taking care of your body and be very mentally prepared for um, the six month season of where you're locked in. Like all the way from, you know, end of March through October, whenever nationals is being played, um, you just, you need to kind of be in it and you need to be, be ready for, uh, ready for it. But yeah, I, I mean, as of, as of now, it's like, I, I really want to enjoy, you know, the, I really want to enjoy the Phoenix season. I think the, the organizational leadership is great um honestly it's a privilege it's, there's like not many people i can say that they get they get to um they get paid to play a sport that they love and uh you know pretty much like we just get to travel around with some of your um some of your really good friends and and just compete at a really high level uh in front of fans and represent your city it's like it, it, it's a special thing that i want to try to hold on to um as long as i can but yeah, I, um and then and then in the future, like if if I can't do that obviously I'll uh I'll find ways to play for its Or um I'd I'd rather like focus on giving back. I think more than Summer League I'd rather coach coach a college team um or something like that. I feel like I'd find more meaning in that. Harvish has a bunch of disc golf courses right next to him. You can just go out there and like yeah. over <laughs> play disc yeah. golf. Course. He's going to just, let me tell you, at, you know, next week when he goes, he's going to send a picture to our family, you know, and he's going to be like, look, you could be doing this. He does <laughs> this every time. We've seen all the beaches in Santa Barbara through picture.
2: So speaking of retirement, who's the, who, who's the young player this year that you're very excited for, that you think going to make a huge impact on our team this
4: year? I'm extremely excited to see Ian Dietrich hit the field. I I don't know if you guys were there in our earlier practices, but, um, you know, I, I feel like since the last time I saw him play, he just put a couple of those pieces together. Like, I knew he was, you know, extremely important citywide for a couple of years and he, it became an important piece on Penn State. But really watching him, see, seeing him play on, on the pro field, he's just explosive and dynamic and comfortable to Frisbee and kind of locked in. Um he was he was doing so much to help the defense move the chains and and you know he's hitting the ground left and right um catching the disc, but he's just he's a tough man to cover and um you know if you guys are if you guys are going to be commentating the games and they they're coming out of a timeout and they have this guy in the iso and Ian tricks on him, and you see that guy just get stuffed, don't be surprised. I think his footwork is really good, and he's quick enough to to just kind of take out you know some of the most dynamic players in the ISO position. So I I would say look out look out for Ian Dietrich once the you know once this once the season picks up. I think he's going to take a lot of people by surprise. He's going to be hard to cover and hard to get open on. Well, he's not going to be that surprising anymore. You just gave him such a glowing recommendation. Oh yeah, well, yeah. well, this is one. Per- <laughs> this is one person who's seen him just for a few practices, but I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to see to see him on this, uh, like play on this team. He's it's, is gonna it's gonna be fun.
2: Yeah, we definitely look for con- very consistent players to to be an offensive and defense. There's been like a lot of turnover on the Phoenix, and it's, it's impressive that that people like Mott, herself, um, Damiano, uh, Esther, these players that, that just have been so consistent for years and yeah, I, I want to see like that that kind of grow. I want to see who's the next player to to be that person, to be to continue continue the chain of of becoming a very good team.
1: Harvish and I and Steve have spent so many hours, you know, breaking down and analyzing your game. And I was wondering if you could just give like just a quick breakdown analysis of Harvish's uh, ultimate frisbee game. What?
4: I can't <laughs> I'm well, Harvest likes to call himself a downhill runner. <laughs> he he either likes to cut deep or throw deep. If you see his flick hook come off, it's probably going to be an OI blade. I think recently he's been hanging up for it, not going as far. But he's he's a handler at heart, but gets put in the downfield position. Um, and I think provides very consistent level in cuts, uh, consistent, consistent in cuts. He's not going to be afraid to hit the ground that comes from his wrestling background. But overall, I think more than anything, he just wants to be on a team where it's not as serious and he can just chuck it deep or just quarterback the offense. So I think you can tease him and throw that, you know, flick hug he loves. That could be a good route to go, or just make sure you don't just keep consistently giving him unders because he's going to keep providing those to his team.
1: Nice. That that was pretty good. I think that was some nice words you said about your brother. Well, thank you so much. Uh, yeah. For myself, Alex Alexander Shaggy Shragas for Harvest Meta and Himalaya Meta. Uh, it's been a wonderful segment of the Burning Bird, and we'll be right back with some um, special Steve Leinert Story Hour. COATS is the mineral sunscreen that's so simple, the ingredients are in the name. Code stands for Contains Only Titanium and Zinc, which means no preservatives and no chemical sunscreen filters on your skin. Visit C O T Z dot com to learn more about healthy sun protection and to get your supply of coat sunscreen today. Welcome back, Phoenix fans. And for this last segment, we have a very special guest for you all. It's Steve Weiner, host of The Burning Bird. But this time for Mother's Day, we're giving you guys something very special. Steve, you were telling me last week that you had a story about your mom and the AUDL and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about Mama Liner and maybe a little bit about how she relates to the AUDL. Uh certainly Shag. thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah.
0: Um uh yeah, my mom actually in 2014 when I was the head coach of the Phoenix it was we had a game on Mother's Day and I I believe it was against the DC Breeze but it might it might have been against one of the Canadian teams. I'm I'm not sure. I don't quite remember who the opponent was, but uh, all the uh, Phoenix were introduced with their moms in a, that were in attendance there. And it was a very special day. And my mom was introduced with me at the end as uh, the mom of the head coach. And she got to do the coin toss. <clears throat> thanks to George Harris and, uh, and, and his wife Carol there who uh, were so generous to uh, let my mom do that Uh uh, she she uh, did the coin toss, and my, I was talking with my mom about it uh, just yesterday, uh, asking her what she remembered about it. And she remembered first of all that she really never flipped a coin before, so she had to ask the red referee <laughs> what she was supposed to do with the coin uh, to, to flip it. So that was pretty funny. That was the first thing. Uh, she remembered that I that all the all the Phoenix players uh, gave their moms either white or red carnations. So my mom's favorite flowers are white carnations. So I made sure that she got a white carnation to go with the co- uh, the coin flip. And then one of the Phoenix photographers captured a picture of us as we were walking off the field that my mom has uh, to this day. She has this big smile on her face and uh, she remembers going home and posting on Facebook how she got to toss the coin at a professional sporting event. And it was the AUDL game with the Phoenix. And she, uh, uh, she couldn't have been happier with the responses, and uh, couldn't have been more proud to have been part of that whole that whole day. She said it was a very neat, special Mother's Day experience that she won't forget. That's awesome. Did she win the coin flip? She, I, I believe, the uh, Phoenix won the coin flip for that day. Oh, so, nice. so she was. Uh, she she definitely helps the team.
1: So, Steve, every single one of these podcasts, I think, for the last month, you and I have talked about. Something that you're cooking. And you mentioned to me that you respected me a lot for being able to copy my mother's banana bread recipe. And right. I was wondering what was what was your best mama liner recipe?
0: Oh man, well I, I try to mimic her macaroni and cheese that she makes. Uh she <laughs> she makes this uh white cheddar and uh macaroni and, and uh, macaroni and cheese with paprika and it is outstanding and it has this like crust on top when you cook it in the oven. And, Mm -hmm. and, like, it's funny how my brothers and I, when when she would serve it, it because every big meal we would have as a family, that would be one thing that we all requested was mom would make her mac and cheese. So, but we would all fight over who would get the crust. So people would like my brothers would literally be taking nothing but the crust of the of the macaroni and cheese and not this part underneath of it. Which the part underneath of it is is awesome. Don't get me wrong, but it's nothing like the crust. And uh, that that's one thing that she really makes like super well that I try to mimic. And uh, her banana cake is by far one of like I've, I've never had anything like it. Uh, it's uh, it's not banana bread. It's banana cake. And uh, my mom is specifically adamant about saying that. If you call it banana bread, she's like, no, 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 not bread. That's cake. It's banana cake. You know, there's, a, there's a lot of butter and sugar and uh, other stuff in there. And I've done a good job of, uh, of mimicking that as well. And, uh, uh, but it's still not quite the same. I think she held out on me. I think she uh, held out on a little nutmeg or some ingredient that makes hers just a little more special than, than, than mine. Uh, but uh, I wouldn't put it past her. She's uh, she's competitive that way. <laughs> but uh, but uh, she, she's still to this day like I I offer to to her. I'm like mom when, when she has a big meal. I'm like mom. I'll, how about if I make something? I'll make your banana bread or I'll make your mac and cheese. And uh, she won't allow it. You know she's just uh, she, she's she's insisting upon doing it doing it uh, herself because I guess she's afraid I'm gonna mess it up and uh, maybe she's got a point. I don't know.
1: Do you think it's that, or do you think it's that she just loves you because you're her son and she wants to give you that childhood experience of having your mom cook for you? Definitely A. Definitely. <laughs> A. <laughs> no,
0: I'm kidding. I'm sure. I'm sure it's equal parts A and B. And uh, you know, and frankly, Shag, at this point in time, I will take any home cooking or motherly love I can get to make me
1: feel at home. That's for sure. Is your mom? Um, has she always been like? I don't want to say stubborn. I feel like stubborn has the wrong connotation, but just like kind of an insistent and uh, fierce woman like that. Uh,
0: my mom's always been tough. Uh, she comes from uh, Kensington in Philadelphia, uh, which is uh, a, a very tough neighborhood. All right, here you go. I'll share. A, I'll share a story with you. One time, they lived on Cornwall Street, which was down from the old Ascension Church in Kensington, and uh, my uncle was getting beat up on the street. He was losing a fist fight in the street. And someone ran into the, or ran to the house and got my mom. And my mom came out. And uh, now this is this is all family lore now. Like this is not. I wasn't. I clearly wasn't alive when this happened. But apparently, she went out there and saw my uncle Bob getting his ass kicked by someone in the neighborhood. And she grabbed the vacuum cleaner and hit this dude square with a vacuum cleaner. And uh, so, <laughs> so that gives you a little bit of an idea on how tough my mom is. Like. We played a we played a basketball game when I was fourteen years old at A and W playground in, in Port Richmond, and she beat me in this game of basketball, and uh, I, I'll never forget it. And she never lets me forget it. Uh, at least once a year, I, it gets brought up in conversation where my mom kicked my butt in basketball, and every every year I wanted a rematch. Since I think I can take her now, but. <laughs> Uh, back then, I back then I couldn't. She beat me, and I never got my rematch. And to this day, she holds it over my head that she's one zero against me in, in basketball. But my mom has uh, always been very tough, stubborn wouldn't be a terrible word. I mean, I'm I, people that know me know people that listen to the Burning Bear know that I'm pretty stubborn myself. So uh, maybe the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. And, Your mom beat you in basketball. Yes, my mom beat me in basketball. I was I, I wasn't very good at basketball and uh my mom was uh was bigger than me when I was fourteen and uh I had a gross spurt like I almost sixteen and uh I um, I wanted to play my mom in basketball and she just wouldn't uh wouldn't play me anymore. <laughs> that was <that>. sad. <laughs> you know? So my dad my dad like my dad would play me and then I beat him. I remember the first time I beat my dad and I was like, Finally I beat one of my parents
1: basketball for crying out loud. Your mom sounds like a pretty good athlete. If we had a tournament of moms in the AUDL, you know, you just got only the moms were allowed to compete. Uh, obviously, you adjust for uh, age, so we'll put your mom in her athletic prime. What position on the field do you think your mom would play, and how do you think those silly moms would do? Well, first of all, is Hampson's mom playing? Yeah, sure. okay, she's she's in. The, well, the, the she might have to coach. Oh no no!
0: See that's that's. I mean, come on! I mean, if my mom's got to play, she's got to play.
1: Okay, good point, good point.
0: <laughs> but uh, in, in her prime, my mom would have been a, uh, a, a kind of like a Jess Babbitt clone. <laughs> I would say, like she's a, she'd be a, 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 a she's a, a bigger stature person. Like she's the same size as I am. She's tough. Uh, she's a cutter. She would be a cutter for sure. And uh, I think she would play pretty vicious defense. Not unlike Mel Proctor, Deets used to play in the uh, paddock community. And uh, anybody that knows or knows how tough Melissa Proctor is. And my mom exhibits that kind of equal toughness, even though she never really played ultimate. I think she would have been really good at it. She would have been one tough, uh, one tough hombre. That's for sure. That's awesome. Do
1: you have anything else you want to say to the moms of the Phoenix and the AUDL, and maybe to your own mom. We'll get this episode to it. We'll to listen. <laughs>
0: well, Mom, first off to my mom, I love you. Uh, thank you for everything that you've done. And happy Mother's Day. I, I hope that it's been a, a wonderful weekend for 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 you and for all all moms out there, and for Phoenix moms and AUDL moms in general. I mean, just ultimate moms, uh, moms of ultimate players in general. You You did a good job. You, uh, for the most part, ultimate players are really good people, and they're honest, and they have a lot of integrity, and they uh, carry themselves with a lot of honor, and uh, that's something I'm proud of as an ultimate player, and it's something that the moms of those kids should be proud of, that uh, that they've instilled that in, in them and, and, and did such a good job of uh, nurturing that was Happy Mother's Day to all you uh, moms out there. Uh, yeah, I hope I hope you had just the best weekend ever. Happy Mother's Day.
1: Steve, that was beautiful.
0: It really means a lot uh, that that people take time out of their schedule to, to listen to what we have to say about ultimate and about life in general. And I, I hope we, they uh, find it entertaining. And I hope we get to continue to entertain them for a long time to come.
1: Yeah, me too. This is this is a lot of fun, and, and I'm so happy that I get to do it with you, Steve. Yeah, me I really. Too. I couldn't imagine it any other way. <laughs> I don't know. You're doing a good job
0: hosting this right now. I'll, uh, maybe, uh, we'll maybe maybe we'll
1: have an,
0: maybe we'll have an April Fool's Day episode where you host and uh, I'll be the uh sidekick that doesn't say anything mm-hmm. most of the time. That's fair. Well, <laughs> well wait.
1: I don't want to do that because then we'd have to have you spending like eight hours then next week editing the episode. We can't have that. So. that's true and you're giving me you you're being
0: generous with the eight hours it would take me a (laughs) lot longer
1: than that i'll tell you that right now so we'll we'll have me host and you can pretend you're a player all right we'll 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 figure it out for steve weiner the host of the burning bird for huck and for himalaya meta and for austin Lilly. i'm shaggy Thank you so much for listening to our Mother's Day special edition of the Burning Bird. And we'll be back next week with everything that you want to hear. Have a great week.